Good morning, Veritas. Another beautiful morning. God is so good to us. Uh, my name is Mark Arendt, one of the pastors here at Veritas, and it's a privilege to open God's Word. Uh, we finished the Lord's Prayer a couple weeks ago. We studied line by line through the Lord's Prayer, learning how to pray, and what a, what a timely uh, study that was through the Lord's Prayer as he's teaching us to pray. And then we started last week, Jeff opened uh, our study of First John, the book of First John. So if you have a Bible, you can, you can open there and just thinking about the last line of the Lord's Prayer about temptation and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we see in the life of Jesus when he was enduring temptation, when the evil one was unleashed on his life, what did he do? He said three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. We need God's word to help us through these times, and we need to learn to say, it is written. And we're going to use First John as, as uh, this morning our, our word to, to just declare, it is written. So we're going to open First John. And I want, I want to begin with a story of something happened this week. And I think um, I, I want to use First John to help me process some of the emotions that I have felt this week and that some of you have been feeling. And I want to take you there with uh, Jeff and I this week went to the old capital, downtown Iowa City. And we went there to just kind of see what is happening in our city and in our area and so we went and we walked around and as we walked up to the old capitol down the sidewalk in the Pentecrest area this beautiful iconic building is just covered in graffiti I want to ask you a question for you um, what what does that draw out of you emotionally? Because um, for me, I had two kind of extremes, like emotional responses from two different angles. The first, uh, and both of them are related to anger and this question like, how could they? Uh, the first, I, I kind of see this through the lens of a lot of my uh, law enforcement friends and, and many of you in, in our church that have kind of talked about this and, and shared your heart related to this and, and how hard it's been. Um, one of my uh, neighbors, I just, uh, my wife and I are on a walk and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And uh, he said, well, uh, we're, we're just a uh, little over halfway through the week and I've already worked 105 hours. Um, another neighbor who's in law enforcement said, first time in 21 years that I've been called in to do like three shifts in a row and I was just imagining and one of one of them shared about um, being there and a part of that that line of law enforcement officers who for 15 minutes were begging with the the protesters and riders just begging them please do not come any further don't come to the interstate please and they're just begging them over and over and they're getting rocks thrown at him. One of my friends, he got hit in the leg with a rock. Other law enforcement officers was talking about on the very first, uh, on one of the, the early days uh, when they looted Walmart, uh, they were on a chase and these guys had guns. And I mean, just thinking of what they were experiencing 
And just looking at this graffiti and just thinking of what this represents in just in terms of lawlessness. And then, um, and then the law enforcement officers, um, even this morning, talking to a brother, talking about how he's just getting mocked and derided online with hateful comments from brothers and sisters in Christ um, because he's in law enforcement. I, I was talking to a friend uh, who came back from Vietnam. He was in Vietnam and he said, yeah, I remember being in the airport and people just jeering at me, spitting at me, throwing things at me. And, and I was processing this with, with one of my friends who's in law enforcement now. And I said, is that kind of how it feels? And he's like, that's exactly it. Uh, that, that's one of the emotions that I experienced as I observed what was happening. But then there was another emotion from the other side that I felt as Jeff and I walked up the old Capitol looking at this iconic building covered in graffiti. Seeing it through the lens of someone with spray paint and asking that same question, how could they? How could they? And just the anger over the scourge of racism in our culture. The anger that's like, I want to get your attention and share how I feel. And I was explaining this to one of my kids. It was like, I don't understand why anyone would do this. I'm like, oh, you do understand, right? I mean, this happens every day in our household. I was like, you know when your older brother's on top of you and he's got you trapped and sometimes he's got your neck or whatever and you're just trying to do anything and at that point, anything goes. If you're the, the, the little, little brother underneath you, I mean, you're biting, kicking, punching, anything you can do, right? Gouging eyes, it all goes because you feel powerless. You feel like there's nothing I can do, I'm trapped. And so I experienced this when I was in the Gaza Strip back in uh, 2000. I was, sat down and had, uh, had tea with a guy in Hamas. He's a terrorist, right? He spent nine years in an Israeli prison, and he was sharing his perspective. And he's like, yeah, my grandfather has keys to our house over in Israel, like when we were taken out in, in 47, I believe. So he's this feeling of like powerlessness, like we're going to do anything to, to show you how this feels. So both questions, as, as we walked up to the old capital, I felt both of those emotions of anger and the question, how could they, from two completely different angles. And so what I want to do this morning is take those emotions and try to filter them through the lens of God's Word and see what perspective we get. We're in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is God's Word. This is the message we have heard him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say, we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is the message we declare to you. God is light. Humanity is groping about in the darkness. But when we look up, we see God is light. I want to convince you of three things this morning from this text. Three things where we're going to go. Number one, God is holier than you think. Number two, sin is worse than you think. But the good news, number three, grace is more amazing than you could ever imagine. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one, God is holier than you think. God is holier than you think. Look at verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Well, what does the light do? What does light do? It, it exposes. It helps you see. The reason that we have oriented the stage this way is so the light will shine on me and you'll be able to see, right? You'll be able to see me. I'll be lit up so that you don't have to have the sun in your eyes. That's the point is, is to illuminate, to expose. And the brighter the light, the better you see. So last week, Jeff talked about Isaiah. And he came into, the, Isaiah the prophet came into the presence of God in the year that King Uzziah died, in a very similar time to today. He walked into the presence of God, and what happened? He was exposed. The light shined on Isaiah in such a way that he said, I'm a sinner, and I live among the people of unclean lips. Think about the sun. It gives life. It gives energy to the world. The plants absorb the energy from the sun, and and it creates life and light. But also, you don't say, uh, there's a lot of planets. We think maybe we can colonize those planets. Maybe we could colonize Mars. Wouldn't that be cool? But nobody's talking about colonizing the sun, right? Because the closer you get to the sun, it will kill you. It will destroy you. Now, imagine the presence of God. Imagine the presence of God, something so pure, something so bright, something so holy. I want you to, with the sun shining through onto me this morning, just imagine, imagine this. The brighter the sun got on me, let's just pretend that somehow the sun was able to not just uh, show you my face brighter, but all of a sudden the sun was able to expose my soul. Let's say that you guys were all watching me and all of a sudden the sun started piercing so deep that my soul started to become clear to you. 
you could start to see my thoughts and my heart. Here's what would happen if that were the case. You would never listen to another word that I said, right? But then I would ask you to come up on the stage. And I would never listen to another word you had to say. That is our condition. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And here's what happens when you see that God is light. When you see that God is holier than you think, the closer you get to him, the more you get exposed. And that leads to point number two. Sin is worse than you think. Sin is worse than you think. Look at verse 6. If we say, we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we say, we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Twice. John talks about this saying, we haven't sinned. What have we done wrong? He's saying, if that's, if that's you, the truth isn't in you. You're actually making God out to be a liar. But what does it mean to walk in the darkness? I mean, that's still kind of abstract. But what does it mean to walk in the darkness? Well, we just can name it uh, prejudice. We've talked about that a lot, prejudice is in the news and certainly part of the darkness in our hearts and that we live in. Favoritism, seeing someone who's poor, uneducated, doesn't drive a nice car, whatever we say. Well, I don't, I don't know if I totally want to be friends with you because we see someone else coming that's rich and good looking and nice car. We think, I want to be friends with them because I might be able to, they could be useful to me. I might be able to get something from that relationship but this one, oh, I, don't, I don't know. We, we did that. It's kind of sizing people up. And, and I might be able to get something from you. Think about the sin of apathy. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I've been, since my trip to Africa in December, I've, I go to bed thinking about those little children starving in the Luangwa Valley. And I think, man, what do I do about that? Well, I struggle with apathy. Like, am I going to care about them? Will I shut my eyes to their suffering. Think about that even today. Like, I don't want to hear any of this. Just somehow go away, right? That's the, the apathy. We just want to run and hide and stay in our own worlds. What about sexual morality, greed, murder, slander? All of these things that we struggle with is what it means to walk in the darkness. But the worst sin of all, the darkest darkness that John talks about here is what? It's the sin that John calls the sin that says, we have no sin. It's the sin of self-righteousness. Two times he says that. If we say we have no sin, that is the sin of self-righteousness. It's as though I'm standing here in the light. You are seeing all of my sin. But as you, I'm just like, hey, guys, tell me what you see. And one by one, you're saying, Mark, I had no idea. Like, this is really bad. I didn't know you did that. And one by one, I start minimizing it, justifying it, denying it. 
blaming. Oh, I, I only did that because of this. And denying it, justifying myself, defending myself. And when we do this, verse 10, when we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. We're standing in the light, exposing our dar darkness, and yet we lie when we say we have not sinned. And in verse 7 it says, it dis the, the result of this sin, the reason it's worse than you think is because that destroys our fellowship with God and each other. That self-righteousness is what destroys community. It destroys community when we say that we don't have sin. And this is not a good situation that God is holier than I think. My sin is worse than I think. But here is the good news, and this is why we come to church, not to hear those first two points. Uh, we come to church to hear the good news. We call the gospel, and that is that grace is more amazing than you could ever imagine. Number three, grace is more amazing than you could ever imagine. Look at verse 9. I want to say, kids, memorize this verse. Ask your parents when you get home. If you don't know this verse, ask your parents to help you memorize this. Parents, did you like what I did just there? I think you just got a memory verse. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. That's great news because that's what we need this morning. We need some atonement. We need some forgiveness. And all we have to do to, to unleash the floodgates of God's grace in our lives is do this word, do this thing, confess. Confess. What does that word mean, confess? Confess means to agree with God about what is true. Confess means to say it with your mouth. I am a sinner. I have been apathetic. I have struggled with prejudice, favoritism, judging, racism, greed. Yes, I spray painted some things in rage. Yes, no, I didn't. But that stuff that's in my heart, yes. The anger, the rage. God, maybe it's I went on a judgmental, self-righteous rage in the comments section of someone's Facebook post. God, I was looking at bad things online. And guess what happens as you confess with your mouth and agree with God what happens? He is faithful and righteous or just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. I love this word, 
cleanse. I love language, and this Greek word is so cool. Katharyotso. Katharyotso. Does anyone know a, an English word that's similar to this? Catharsis? Yes, catharsis. Do you know what catharsis is? Here's the definition of catharsis. That's where we get this word. The purging of the emotions or relieving of emotional tensions, especially through certain kinds of art as tragedy or music or graffiti. No, I just had the graffiti part. But it's that I got to get this out, right? I, I need... I need to purge myself of these emotions. I need to get this out. And so this is the word of the day. Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to purge yourself of your emotions, some cleansing inside and out? Well, here's how to do it. Here's how to get cleansing from God is confess your sin to God. Confess the darkness in your heart. Let me go back to the old capital covered in graffiti. And I want to see that now through the lens of first John. I see that God is holier than I think. God is light. And so now as I look at the graffiti or I look at an eight minute video or whatever other thing you're seeing on social media that's terrible and wrong. Now, all of a sudden, that video or that graffiti through the lens of the holiness of God is more horrifying than I could ever imagine. You could watch that with an unbeliever and they say, that is terrible. And I can say, it's actually worse than you think it is. And when I filter it through the lens of number two, that I see my sin for what it is in light of the holiness of God, I can look at that horrifying thing and I can say, well, as a Christian, I can say, of course they would do that. Of course, of course. Like, that makes total sense because I struggle with the same thing. Because I'm no better than that person. I'm not more righteous than them. If the sun, if the video all of a sudden exposed everything in my heart on social media, I am no better in the presence of God. And that sin is horrifying, but that sin is in me. Jeff and I were there sitting on the steps, and a photographer, a photographer came up, and he was taking some pictures, and he was explaining about the building. You know, the limestone is so porous that to clean the old capital, he, he just said, this building will never be the same. Because you actually have to destroy part of the building to get all the, the paint and gunk out of there. And I thought about the graffiti kind of like our sin. You know, how it gets in us. And like, how are we going to get cleansed from our sin? 
verse 1. Jesus, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice. This word atonement is so important for us to understand. Atonement is not just, you know, God just kind of takes a a brush and kind of does the best he can and paints over it. No, atonement is somebody has to pay the price. You know, the university officials can't just be like, oh, oh well, so that happened. We'll just keep going on. Like, like somebody's got to clean it. Somebody's got to pay the price for what happened for that. So where's that kind of justice going to come from? Where's that kind of cleansing going to come from? Well, what atonement means is somebody had to pay the price for my sin. Like, I'm guilty. I can't, God can't just let a murderer like me off of, you know, I'm standing before the judge and he just says, well, you're free to go. Well, you don't just sweep the sins of the world under the rug and say, yes, I'm a holy, just God. Where does this sin go? This word atonement means the sin was absorbed by Jesus Christ. And so the catharsis, the cleansing comes, not with a power washer, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. He washes my sins. So the Second Corinthians 5 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The old mark has been crucified. It's gone, it's torn down. A new mark is being created and built up. God is holier than I could ever imagine. My sin is worse than I think. But grace is more amazing than I could ever imagine. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. There is no sin that's uncleansable. Except, I suppose, the sin of self-righteousness, which says, I have no sin. So, this word confess, it's interesting. In the original language, it's in a, a present perfect tense, which means if we confess, not like that's something I did at a summer camp or when I was six years old or that's something I did when I was in high school. No, confess means that's something I did this morning. That's something I'm doing right now. If we continually confess our sin, he is continually just to say not guilty, forgiven, because you never stop needing God's grace. You never stop needing God's grace. And he says when this is the case, of confession, We have an advocate before the Father, the righteous one. You know what the word Satan means? Satan just means accuser. He's the one saying, guilty, guilty, guilty. Look how bad Mark is. Look how bad you are. And some of you guys live with that running color commentator in your head. It's like, oh, Mark walks into the room. Look, oh, yeah, I failed again. Look at him, you know. And just like kind of constantly going and accusing. Well, Jesus is the righteous one, the advocate the lawyer maybe, the defender, the one standing before us saying, no, he's not guilty. He's righteous. He's, and he's just to do that because he paid the price on the cross for my sins. Let me just kind of land with what some of you might be thinking as kind of an objection to this. What I just shared with you is what we call the gospel. It's the good news of God's grace the cleansing of our sin through Jesus Christ. 
Any child can understand that. Any child in the audience knows that they are a sinner. And Jesus loved you so much. He died on the cross for your sins, was raised again. It's not that hard to understand, but I think one objection that someone might bring this morning is this. You know, that is why Christianity and Jesus and the gospel seems so unhelpful right now. That message that I just shared from 1 John, the good news, it seems so unhelpful. Yeah, Christians, you guys sit around and you talk about forgiveness, but what about justice? Like, you guys are so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good. You gather and sit out on a lawn. But what about what's actually going on in the world? It reminds me of Jesus. Remember the paralytic brought to Jesus? This Jesus looks at this man, this paralyzed man, and what does he say to him? He looks at him in the eyes and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I just imagine the paralytic looking back at him like, well, that's great, Jesus, but I really wish I could walk. Your sins are forgiven. I imagine Jesus walking into a crowd and just like someone with a, their hands stained with paint, spray paint bottle, and Jesus looking and saying, your sins are forgiven. Uh, that's nice, Jesus, but I want you to deal with the racism problem. Sometimes the gospel sounds so unhelpful but listen to this. If you demand justice without Jesus, if you try to get Jesus to heal your legs without first healing your soul, there will never be true healing. There will never be true justice. There will never be true fellowship and community and the things that we long for because the healing that we need starts not out there with our politicians and leaders. It starts right here in my soul. This is where the Bible is taking us. It's shining. We want to shine the light on all the bad people out there and say what I felt. How could they? How could they? And it, the light shines on us and it changes my perspective. As Jeff and I walked, um, we were just quiet. And we walked up toward the steps of the old Capitol, walking on top of the, the spray paint, just reading the words, going slow so we could just take it all in. And sometimes we would just stop and just stare at these vulgarities and words. And all of a sudden, we just started to pray our Father. And just with those words, all of a sudden our anger turned to humble silence. 
And our whole perspective changed when we stepped into the presence of God. My pride turned to humility. My self-righteousness turned to repentance. My anger turned to love. My despair turned to hope. As we study the book of 1 John, he is going to show us how to love and how to build community, how to restore people who are fighting against each other. He's going to teach us how to have fellowship with God and one another. And it starts with the good news that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you go on this journey with us this summer to learn how to be this kind of church, this kind of people that know how to love? Will you go with us on that journey? You know what step number one is on that journey? It's really a question. Are you willing to let your sin be exposed? Are you willing to talk more about your own sin than all the sin of the people out there? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to see your sin as the greatest problem in the world today? That's step one in restoring the kingdom of God. I want to end with just kind of dreaming a little bit about us because we're not going to stay here all day and just sing songs. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go. And as the light of Jesus Christ shines into our souls, guess what we do? We, we, we come on Sunday. We run into the light. We let our evil deeds be exposed we come to Jesus, we declare the good news, and then you know what we do? We run back into the darkness with the light of Jesus, and we do what Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We go with the good news. We go as ambassadors of reconciliation. We're eager to have conversations with people that disagree with us. And we're more eager to listen than we are to teach. And we go as humble ambassadors. What if we did that? What if the 500 plus people on here scattered back into that dark world with the light of Jesus and the love of Jesus in us, loving our enemies, praying for the people who persecute us, what could this world look like? I don't know about you, Veritas, but I'm saying, let's go. Let's go. And uh, we're going to go, and we're going to end our time with worship. And I am so excited to see this summer, what is God going to do in us as we continue to say, it is written, it is written, it is written, and let God speak and transform his people for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we need a righteous one. Jesus, we need a leader.
We need a king. We don't just need the right candidate to get into office. We need the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Righteousness and justice is the foundation of your throne. And there's no way any of us want justice without Jesus. We want to experience the kind of justice that comes through the cleansing of our sin. Because we know we can never stand before you, Lord. Would you transform us from the inside out? And would you help us to go as ambassadors of light? We love you, Jesus.